0: have your Bibles and you want to turn there, we have taken some scripture out of the gospel according to Matthew in chapter 5, and we'll start reading at about uh, verse 13. And of course, uh, most of you have heard me preach more than uh, a a time or two, and you've probably noticed that I resort often to uh, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Uh, Many uh, Bible commentaries uh, state that this is probably the most comprehensive version of of an uh, entire sermon that Jesus preached. And, uh, you know, that all the things that he said here in this particular sermon, of course, we we need not to just agree with, but to actually put into practice. And, uh, uh, you know, what I'm getting ready to read comes on the heels of the Beatitudes, as they're commonly referred to. And one thing that's really been on my heart a lot lately is uh, being a blessing. A lot of times what we want is we want to be blessed. Uh, But really the truth is we want to be blessed. We need to be willing to be a blessing. And it's no different than, uh, you know, when we set out... Uh, to do what's right that we should be willing to do it even if there's no reward even if there's no repayment and later on you'll find that Jesus even refers to the Pharisees and he says you know they love to have the greetings in the marketplace and they love to be you know get the the good seats at all the venues and all these things and he said they have the reward they have it down here And that's a a really careful place that we need to put ourselves in because we don't seek a reward down here. Now, God can see fit to reward us, He can see fit to bless us down here. But you'll notice that in the Beatitudes, you know, some of the things that He says is He talks about when people revile you and speak falsely against you for His name's sake, He says, You're blessed. He said, Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see the kingdom of God. Blessed are are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. but I can tell you most of all, when you're doing those things, when you have that attitude, when you have that willingness to go out and to be a blessing, what it'll be is what Jesus is talking about here about being salt and being light for the world. And we're going to start reading at verse 13, all the way down to verse 16, it says, "Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt Have lost his savor, wherewithal shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That that particular set of Scripture right there is just kind of the logical conclusion of pursuing a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, That we know that a person when they get saved, it's not because of anything that they've done, but I can tell you this, uh, uh, you can do everything to hang right on to him. Uh, That many times he said you take up your cross uh, and you follow me. Uh, uh, John recorded that Jesus was the light of the world and that light uh, was the life of men. Uh, And what we're called to do is to go around and to make things better and to improve the world, not to make it worse. I think often about that Hippocratic oath that to have doctors take before they're officially a doctor. And the first line of it is... Do no harm. Uh, I think that should be the Christian, uh, uh, that we shouldn't make things worse, uh, but rather better. And a lot of times, uh, uh, we'll find ourselves not reflecting Christ, uh, not seasoning with salt, uh, uh, but rather uh, going out into a world and behaving just like the world. And Jesus said there's a high consequence to that. If you go all the way back into the book of Genesis, uh, you'll find a young man by the name of Lot uh, and he went and lived down around Sodom and Gomorrah uh, uh, and that uh, he was considered to be uh, uh, righteous, but the bar was pretty low in those cities. Uh, and when he came out uh, and tried to talk the men uh, uh, into not having an unnatural relationship uh, uh, with the angels that had come to his house, uh, uh, that they pretty much looked at him and said, Lot you've been right here amongst us the whole time and while you haven't been doing what we've been doing you've also not really stood against us and you see evil has to be opposed it has to have light shined on it whether it hurts people's eyes or not because our job is to shine the light but if the world recoils from it that's on them because you'll notice Jesus said that if you light a candle you don't hide it under it what's the point? The darkness will take place without the light. But if you light that candle, if you light a fire, it's going to be able to be seen. It's going to provide light for all that are around it. And I've noticed somebody can go and start a bonfire. You'll look around in just a minute or two. There'll be a crowd nearby. Maybe coming to see what's wrong or what's right or somewhere in between. But I've heard it said that when a person gets on fire for the Lord that the world will come to watch them burn. And so Jesus tells us to be light. And how are we light? Well, first of all, we've got to have Him in our heart. When we go out into this world, when they see you, they should see your attitude. They should see that you're merciful. They should see that you're forgiving. Because when they see that, they may say, you know, there's something something different about that person. They don't behave the same way. Because that one blessed are the meek. And you think about what meekness is. Meekness is not the same as weakness. Meekness is strength under strict control. And Jesus was a wonderful example of that. All the miracles and everything that he had done. Uh, He looked around at Pontius Pilate when Pilate asked him, Are you a king? And Jesus told him, Well, you just saying it, have you come to this conclusion on your own? Did somebody tell you that? And he said, Am I a Jew? How would I know? And Jesus said, If I were of this world, if my kingdom were of this world, then my army would fight for me. And he said, So you are. A king then. But Jesus didn't use all of the power at His disposal. He come with a very meek and a very lowly spirit. He could have said, angels, get them. They couldn't have held Him. When they come and got Him with clubs and things like that, He voluntarily went. They didn't take Him against His will. He was in this world for that purpose uh, to come down uh, uh, and to be the life and the life of men because all the miracles that He did, all of the things, every step that He walked would have been pointless had He not gone to that cross. Had He not died for our sins. Uh, uh, but then what we're called to do uh, is to go... And to tell them. You see because a lot of times when we encounter somebody that's lost. And I think about this often about Jesus when he come to a, a guy who climbed a tree to see him. And he walks up. And you, you, you remember the tale of The guy's name was Zacchaeus. I remember when I was a little kid in Sunday school. You know that uh, uh, my grandmother was my elementary Sunday school teacher. And she had those little felt things put up on the board there. And it had a big old tree. And then a little tiny dude. Uh, because it says Zacchaeus was small of stature. And he was a publican. And, uh, he was a sinner. And he said that when he heard that Jesus was coming that he decided to climb up in a sycamore tree. So that he might see Jesus. And Jesus walks right up to him. To the foot of the tree. And maybe some of the Pharisees would be like, Jesus, you want us to go get a saw and cut the tree down with Zacchaeus in it? We've got a few rocks here. Let's see if we can knock him in the head and cause him to fall out of there. Or you might have thought that Jesus would point right up at him and say, Zacchaeus, you vile son of the devil, come down here that you might face judgment. But rather, Jesus looks up in the tree and says, make haste. And come down from going to your house today. And he acted differently. He could have condemned him right there. He could have said, you know what? You're guilty of your sin. You're worthy of hell. You no longer have life. You're going to move on to the next thing. But rather, he came as light and the life of men. And after that, Zacchaeus spent an afternoon with Jesus Christ said he stood up and he repented of all the things that he had done. Promised to repay. Promised to do better. And that is life. That's the sort of thing that somebody doesn't give up easily unless they encounter the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And this world... They come around, you know, and I think about this where Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. And we know that salt at one point in history was used as a currency. Now, you know, we go to the store and it's one of the cheaper things that you can buy and that little Morton's blue drum that they give you and you refill your salt shaker. But I can tell you this, have you ever tried to eat something that needs salt without salt? It's so vastly different that it defies logic. And anytime I start into a, a chemistry unit, I always tell my students about this one chemical compound called sodium chloride. It's NACL. And i write it on the board. And By the time I'm done, they usually know what NACL means. And NACL is the chemical formula for table salt. And I'll tell them, you eat this on a regular basis, and I'll tell them, but if you ate just sodium, it'd be bad, real bad. Sodium as a metal, if it touches water, it'll burst into flames and explode. I tell them, so don't eat sodium. And I tell them, and chlorine as a gas? Well, they used to use that during World War I, try to kill each other, launch chlorine gas attacks. It's this gross-looking yellow color. I said, but you take them and you put them together and they become something that's very important under the right conditions that they complement each other. Uh, and, and I tell them, you know, in salt, how important is it to food? Uh, well, I can tell you that if you sit down to eat potatoes without salt, you can choke them down, but they're not as good. Uh, and salt makes things better. Now, I will say, as a public service announcement, don't use too much. That's a bad idea, too. As I would often tell Gracie, When she would be eating mashed potatoes, don't make them crunchy with salt. But salt is a flavor enhancer. It makes things better. I remember when I first delved into cooking a little bit and some of the stuff you put salt in. I looked up a homemade hot cocoa recipe one time and one of the ingredients was salt. I said, salt, really? And I thought, well, is it really that important? So being the inquisitive young fellow that I did, I made some without it. I made some with it. It was as different as daylight and dark. And that's what Jesus is talking about here is that when you go around, you should improve situations. That your presence should bring the presence of the Lord into the room. That when you come in, it's not as though you're hating sinners because you're called to love the sinners. It's not your job to make them good. That's God's job. If they'll come to Him. But you come around and look and say, hey, my life is a living offering. And if you read in the Old Testament, you'll find that... No No offering was ever to be offered without salt. That's how important that it was. And salt wasn't easy to find back then. Now it's fairly easy, fairly cheap. But the idea is that it improves things. It enhances it. And when we live our life, an upright life before the Lord, not perfect. By no means perfect. That people, when they see you fail, what they should really see is you on your face before the Most High God. When they hear about you falling down, that you don't stay down, because that's the real choice that a person has to make. And the world is going to see that. And when they see you, they should see the light of Christ. And their lives should be improved because of it. Because you're merciful. Because you're a peacemaker. Because that you'll endure... And be kind. I can tell you that will win more hearts than anything else. When they see you upset and you still ain't that bad, that will make an impression on people. But you see, Jesus, when He told them this, <laughs> He was essentially saying to the people that were there, now everybody heard this. And there was a large crowd. If you go back to the very beginning of this same chapter, it says now that there were so many around Him that He decided to go up onto the side of the mountain. Hence the name, Sermon on the Mount. And He did that so that they could all see Him and so they could hear Him. But He concludes it in chapter 7. When He's winding it down, He concludes it by saying, Now look, the ones that hear these things and do them, I will liken them to a person who dug deep, laid a foundation upon the rock, and when the wind and the rains come against it, that it will stand firm. But He said those that don't, Those that hear it but don't do it. And we all have the potential for being that. He said those are the ones who didn't dig deep. And they laid their foundation on the sand. And when the wind and the rains come, that it falls. And the fall of it is great. It's that phony relationship to the Lord. It's that hypocrisy that Jesus would talk about later in this same book about the Pharisees when that he points his finger right at him, he says, look, not only will you all not go in, but you'll stop the ones that would. And they didn't understand what Jesus was about. That if you go into the Gospel according to John, you'll find that when Jesus begins to talk about Himself being the light of the world, that they say, oh, you're testifying of yourself. And Jesus looks right at him and says, well, if you don't believe me for what I say, just look at what I've done. And then if we take that as a lesson for ourselves, you can say you're a blood-bought Christian all you want. And maybe people will take you at your word. But there's a phrase that Ronald Reagan uh, used several times during the Cold War that I believe was a Russian proverb. said, trust, but verify. And I've often repeated that to my students over the years. And they tell me, oh, I'm just going to, or I wasn't, uh, trust, but verify. And so, when you live your life, it's not just what you say. And there's nothing wrong with that public confession of a faith in Christ. But know this you're like a candle on a hill. You know what that means? Everybody can see it. And when it goes out, when it falters, when it fails, that also will be seen. And then what? Maybe it'll be that if you get humiliated, you might tread more carefully. I can tell you that being up on this raised platform before you today and you know of some some of my failures, thankfully not all of them, you know where that I failed, you know where that I've messed up, but I hope that you also know that I haven't quit. That I keep fighting, keep digging, keep trying. Because God uh, is so much more to me uh, than just uh, uh, being able to come out to the house of the Lord or people treating me differently because I'm a minister. uh, But rather, I'm looking for a blessing that's not down here. I'm looking for that blessing that's on the other side. And I'm looking to be a blessing to this world. That hopefully when they see me, that when I've got everything squared away, they see a meek person. I'm sure they don't always see that. I hope that they see a person who's pure of heart. But I know it's not perfect. He's still working on me. You know, I don't know any of you as well as I know me. And I can tell you this, that if He's willing to accept me as I am, I'd be more than willing to venture that He's willing to accept you as you are as well. You see, a lot of times whenever a person is looking and searching for a relationship to the Lord, they'll go to try to clean themselves up. And I tend to think of that as kind of like the uh, uh, dentist appointment mentality when it comes to getting saved. You know what I mean by that? That, you know, you, you, you brush your teeth right before you go to the dentist. You floss right before you go to the dentist. Maybe you haven't been as diligent about it up to the dental appointment. But you want to lead the dentist to believe that you've been diligent about it. And yet, and I, and I tried this when I was a kid when we was going to the dentist. I hated when he would clean my teeth. I hated that feeling and everything. I don't know if I'm the only one that's like that. And the taste of that junk that he would use to clean them. And uh, how your mouth would feel all straight. I hated it. And I'd heard tell that if you, if you cleaned them real good before you went there, that they wouldn't clean them for you. And so and I brushed my teeth until my gums bled and, rinse and then rinsed and waited a little while and did it again. And went there and it still wasn't good enough. He could see the things that I couldn't see. And he got in there and he cleaned things up. And you know the funny thing was, is it was for my benefit. He didn't benefit from that. It wasn't going to be His teeth that rotted out of His head if they weren't clean. And yet a lot of times we think that because we've done something, we've worked for the Lord, we've took a step in the right direction like that God owes us something. Rather than looking around saying, God, this is what it is and I know it's it's shabby. And it's not good. It's not perfect. But God, I know that You can perfect me. Maybe not down here, but you can get me closer. You see, because when we're called to be salt, and we're called to be light, we're not called to be perfect, but we are called to bring what the Lord has given us to those that don't have it. To come around, you know, because Jesus, when He met the woman at the well, she was there and He asked her for a drink of water. She said, how can you ask me for a drink of water when I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew? Jesus told her, He said, if you knew who I was, you would be asking a drink of water from me. And he told her, and what I give you, it will sustain you and you'll never thirst again. And she says, I would like some of that. Give me this water. She was, in, she was seeking what Jesus had. And that's what we're called to do is to seek what He has and then to essentially look at the world and say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy is He that trusteth in Him. Rather than just looking around saying, you're a vile sinner. Everything you do is wrong. Chances are you meet a sinner person. They know that. They know enough of the Bible to know they're not square to it. But I can tell you this, if they meet you and you meet them with kindness, like Jesus did that woman on the well, there were lots of lost people in this crowd that Jesus is talking to. But He didn't just tell them about sin. He didn't just tell them about hell. Well, what he did tell them was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You ever just walked up to somebody and told them that? I'm pretty sure you would get a unique reaction out of it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeah, whatever, buddy. Get lost. And they may say, well, what do you mean by that? And then you you get the chance. You get the chance to minister. Here's some salt. Are you having trouble seeing? Here's some light. You know, I love the fact that pretty much everybody runs around with a flashlight in their pocket. And a calculator. And you can occasionally make calls on it for you younger people here. I know my students, I'm like, when's the last time you made a phone call? A what? A phone call. Oh, I don't do that, I just text. A phone call terrifies them. Literally terrifies them. But we run around with that light all the time, as long as the battery's charged. And I can tell you, you know, we've made these jokes for years about... You get toughened up when you had to hold the light for your dad. I've done that and I can tell you that I, my attention would waver, get jumped onto, you know, get more serious about it and hold it and all that. Well, I can tell you this, that in this day and time, we are called to be light. And it's more important now than it's ever been. Because that people run around with this flashlight in their pocket, they're more distracted from the Word of God than ever. They are paying less attention, even though with this very same device that I have in my hand right now, that I'm recording this sermon with, there's the Bible on it. There's access to many different translations. That the Word of God is used and consumed less now than it's ever been in human history because the thirst and the desire is gone. And you know what one thing salt does? It'll make you thirsty. And what we need to do is start adding some salt to people that they might get thirsty for the Lord. That they might seek Him out while He may yet be found. Because you see that whole thing about light, Jesus said, there's, while it's day, you work. He said, but there's coming a time when it'll be dark and no man will be able to work. Now I care not to speculate on when that time is, but I can tell you this, if Jesus said it, it's going to happen. We better work while there's light. We better be the light. We better show people, look, there's something better out there in the world. When they, when the consequences of their sin come home to roost on them, rather than kicking them while they're down, say, can I help you? Can I help you up? Here's some light so you can get your bearings. Here's some salt so that you can season uh, the meat uh, that you're dealing with so that you can purify things. And maybe I can lead you to one that will give you your own supply of light and your own supply of salt. Because a lot of times people will come to the Christian, and you've seen this, they get in crisis and they ring your phone. Hey, would you pray for me? Would you pray for my kid? Would you pray for my mom, my mama, my dad? Whatever. And a lot of times I find myself wanting to say and restraining myself from saying it, if you get in communion with the Lord, if you would receive Christ as a Savior, you could pray for them yourself. And I would pray right alongside of you. We would be of one mind and one accord. You think about it, if you had the ability to save somebody, but you just simply chose not to. If you had the ability to help somebody, but you simply chose not to. that Jesus, when He's telling them this, notice that it is a warning. He's warning them that if they're not these things, then they're not His. You're called to be salt. And to be light. And I can tell you that salt, when you mine it out of the ground, it has impurities in it and everything. There's a process that they go through to purify it and to make it pure salt. We need to do that daily with ourselves in the reading of the Word of God in a good, steady prayer life and just seeking God continually so that when the time comes when somebody has a need, that they will see the light of Christ in our life. So that they... We'll feel the savor of the Lord through the salt that we bring. Because if we don't, there's a good chance nobody else will. They may not accidentally read this Word on their own. I can tell you, you can't go very far here in West Virginia. Now, I don't know how the rest of the world is. But you can't go very far here in West Virginia without encountering the Word of God in some form. The Gideons have put it in a lot of different hotels. You'll find it in doctor's offices and places like that. It's on the Internet. You have an internet connection, you can find it. But most importantly, is is it being internalized? As I can tell you, one of the things that I learned, and I'm going to hush, one of the things I learned when I was training to be a teacher, <clears throat> we, would, we learned our content. When you're in secondary education, you learn your content and you learn how to teach. And now I can tell you that I was already a reasonably capable teacher before I ever took a single class at Marshall University. Now I learned a lot more about the sciences, seeing as how that's what I was going to teach. But I was in classes with people that we were learning how to teach, and they would literally look and say, all I need to know is my content. And I had the occasion to talk to somebody, and they were talking about that, and I said, no, you've got it wrong. I said, if all you know is your content, but you don't know how to teach your content... Then you're not a teacher. You're just somebody who knows a lot about your content. And I've met people who knew a lot about something, but couldn't teach it to you if their life depended on it. A discussion my Uncle Romy and I have had. My Uncle Romy's one of the best equipment operators around, in my opinion. And I tried to get him to teach me and he couldn't do it. And he told me, he said, I'm not a teacher. I can't do it. I w- he would go to trying to teach me how to do something, and I'd end up more confused, thought I understood it. And ended up more confused. But then when I watched him and started asking him questions, well, why did you do this? I would begin to understand it. And I thought back to that when that other student was talking about that. Look, you can know how to do a lot of stuff. But you need to be able to get somebody to get it to the inside. It's like a can of food with no can opener. If it doesn't make it to the inside, that can of food not going to do anybody any good. This Word of God has to make it to the inside. You can't get it to the inside, but you can get it to Him and then say, taste and see that the Lord is good, happy is He that trusteth in Him. That's your job. That's your job being the salt and the light is to just get it to Him and say, now look, I've prepared this meal, but it's your choice whether or not you eat it. It's your choice whether or not you internalize Christ. It's your choice whether or not you receive Him, but I've brought it to you. I've lit the candles. I've salted the meal. I've prepared it and seasoned it. But only you can eat it. And your job is to tell them, to prepare them, to let them see you and see the Lord's good works in you that they might turn from the things of the world and receive Him. Let's all stand and get a song.